Today's video was recorded on August 28, 2022, and this is the sixth in our series on understanding the Transfiguration event by looking through the lens of the cultural context of first century Judaism. In today's lesson, we finally get to what I believe to be the foundation of understanding the overall message of the Transfiguration, and that is Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, and then an interpretation of Psalm 43 by the rabbis as one that is asking for redemption in the current generation. Now, there are a number of details shared between the rabbinic interpretation of Psalm 43 and what we find in the Gospels and the Transfiguration story, and the number of details is simply remarkable. So, in this lesson, we're going to walk through the details of something that is called a midrash, and a midrash means to seek out or to inquire about a passage of Scripture. And so, we'll look at a midrash on Psalm 43, and we'll compare those details with what we find in the Transfiguration story in the Gospels. And then finally, we're going to look at a translation issue. And what I mean by that is that it's an issue of translation from Hebrew to English of a phrase that occurs in Psalm 43.3. And I think that when we look at the more literal translation of that verse, it's going to point us to something about Peter's behavior on the mountain and his questions to Jesus about putting up tents. So we hope you enjoy this examination of the Midrash on Psalm 43 and the details found in the Transfiguration. Okay, folks, let's get started tonight. We're going to be looking at, well, the goal is tonight to look at a Midrash on Psalm 43. And I think... By the end of this, you'll see why it's so important, really central to our understanding of the Transfiguration, or at least the message that would have been conveyed in the first century. So it's, a, it's called the Midrash on Psalm 43. Now, this is our sixth in their series on the Transfiguration. This is going to be our final one with new information. I'm going to do a recap video reviews everything, and then talk about what kind of meaning flows out of this event. But part six will be the, the final one for new information. Now, as we've done in the past, we have in the background there, that is a photo in northern Israel of a mountain called Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, or I should say, Hermon means sacred. Uh, H, it would be an HRM. So it's, it's actually where you get the word harem. So harem or hermon. A harem is a, it's something that's set aside. And so hermon comes out of something meaning sacred. And of course, Peter tells us in his letter that uh, he's talking about the transfiguration. And he says, we went up on a sacred mountain. And so Mount Hermon in northern Israel, it straddles Israel, Lebanon, and Syria. And this is where scholars put the transfiguration now, which is a little bit different than where they used to put it. And you can check out our first video on the transfiguration. If you didn't see that one, we talk about the difference between Mount Hermon and Mount Tabor. But Mount Hermon, that'll be our background picture for this lesson tonight. So let's start off with a bit of a review. 
very early on, I wanted to show you uh, something of a mind map. Now, a mind map is where you lay out all of the different points that can feed into something, and you don't do it linear, you do it in a more artistic way. And so the depiction that I chose comes from the spiritual growth world, and it's a chambered nautilus, a little sea creature, but this has spirals because that's how uh, spiritual growth journey is not a, a linear, it's not linear, and that's how life is. It's more, it's more of a spiral. Sometimes you feel like you're going backwards, even though you're not. You're actually going through a different phase that may feel like it's going backwards, but you're really not. You're just going along a spiral of a journey. Okay, so we're going to take Jesus there at the Transfiguration. We place him at the center of this a spiral, and we say, now what are all of the areas that we're going to, that are going to fill in around it? And I've saved this one, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, for the last, because it's actually Psalm 42, Psalm 43, and then a something called a midrash, a midrash on Psalm 43, and a midrash is an, is an explanation. It's how you search out the text. Those two, as I think you'll see tonight, these are foundational. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute, what about Moses? Well, they're going to connect us directly to Moses. In fact, it's gonna, that's going to be the message. We're going to look tonight, Psalm 42, 43, and the Midrash on Psalm 43. We talked about Exodus 24, that's Moses ascending with three named disciples to see God. We talked about Exodus 34, that's Moses and his own transfiguration event. Along the way, especially last week, we talked about Isaiah 42. That's quoted by the heavenly voice at the transfiguration. And we talked about eyes that see and ears that hear. And Isaiah 42 is a messianic uh, chapter in Isaiah. We've obviously looked week after week at Mount Hermon and how Psalm 42 and 43 are located at Mount Hermon. We talked a good deal about Second Temple writings and how those help us understand the way that the audience of, a, of the first, or I'm sorry, the way the audience of the New Testament times would have been thinking about things, because they thought about things a little bit different than, differently than we think about them, and so it's important to go explore what they would have been thinking. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the heavenly man, the idea that What's being revealed uh, on top of that mountain is at the core the divine nature of Jesus and how that connects to first century thinking about what Paul calls the heavenly man. Again, tonight we'll look at some rabbinic thought. Rabbinic thought is very important to studying the New Testament because Jesus is a rabbi, Paul trained under Rabbi Gamaliel. So Paul would be considered a type of rabbi. He went through that schooling. The disciples would be on their way. Now, they don't, they're not called rabbi, but that's the context of first century Judaism. So we want to know, what did the rabbis think about particular texts? Those help us. And then last week, we looked at the progression of Mark. And the progression of Mark is that ascending nature where ears are being opened and eyes are being opened to see and hear the reality of who Jesus is. And spiritual journey, a spiritual growth journey, is like ascending a mountain. Now, the one thing that I left out of here that we, I should probably add in, and I apologize for that, was 
I think it was week three when we talked about Adam, right? The first Adam and the last Adam, and how Jesus is the one who's able to accomplish what the first Adam was not able to do. And part of what the transfiguration shows us is that Jesus is the last Adam. Okay, but tonight, this is the main thing. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 and how they're connected to the events at the Transfiguration. And we're also going to look at that Midrash, which is an interpretation of Psalm 43, and it shares so many of the same details as the Transfiguration that it's almost impossible without simply outright rejecting all of the evidence in front of you that they're not connected. Now, of course, we're talking about religious things, so people can reject all kinds of things that are right in front of them, and we do that on a regular basis. So it is possible, but I think when you're done, you will see so many connections between this Midrash that is also includes Psalm 43 and the story uh, there uh, at the Transfiguration. So many, many shared details. So that's what we're going to do tonight. That's our main goal. And I'd like to start this tonight by reading once again the Transfiguration event. Now I'm going to be using, this may be a new Bible version for many of you. You actually cannot buy a Bible. You can't buy the Bible, like a printed Bible, with it. You can download the whole thing in a PDF form. You can have, you can ship it to a printer and they can print it, but they actually don't uh, have it through a publisher. And it's called the New Heart English Bible. The New Heart, the N-H-E-B, New Heart English Bible. And I'm going to be using one of their translations, so I just wanted to introduce you to that translation of the Bible. And look it up. Just Google New Heart English Bible. It'll take you to the website. You can download the PDF uh, for this version of the text. Okay, so this is going to be Mark's version of the Transfiguration. So he starts, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and brought them up onto a high mountain privately by themselves. And he was changed into another form in front of them. Now, notice, New Heart English Bible, instead of using the more religious word, transfiguration, which, if you remember week one, the word there means to transform, so here it says changed into another form, they don't use transfiguration. That's the it's, it's, it's almost become like a technical word, something that only happens to Jesus. But Paul uses the same Greek word, metamorpho, to say, hey, you're supposed to transform too. And Moses has his own transfiguration type event. So here, they don't use transfiguration. Okay, next uh, part of it. His clothing became glistening, exceedingly white, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah and Moses appear to them, and they were talking with Jesus. Now let me step out of the text here for a second, just to point out, if you've been following along and reading along, and the more familiar you are with Matthew, with Mark, and with Luke's version of the Transfiguration, you'll notice here, Mark just says, Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. Now, in Luke, it actually tells you, Luke then goes on to say what they were talking about, the Exodus, what was about to happen. So you just notice little variations in the way that they tell the story 
for their own audience and for their own theological purpose. Okay, uh, next. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became very afraid. A cloud came, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Now the text continues. As they were coming down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one what things they had seen until after the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. They kept this saying to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. They asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Now notice this right here. Why do they say Elijah must come first? And we're going to talk about this tonight. That's a real, this is, becomes a really important piece when you look at the Midrash on Psalm 43. So why do they say Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah indeed comes first and restores all things. And why is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be rejected? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they have also done to him whatever they wanted to, even as it is written about him. Okay, so that's Mark's telling of the transfiguration story and including the discussion of Elijah that follows up the whole event. So that's, what, that's what's on the mind of the disciples as they're coming down the mountain. But our main task for tonight of course, is to look at this Midrash on Psalm 43. And I want to back up just a little bit to week one, just a little review of week one, to talk about both Psalm 43 and Psalm 42. So the first thing we noted in week one was that the, the location, the geographical location of Psalm 43 is Mount Hermon. So that was in week one, that introduction. And when we go to a map, I'll show you a map here because it's just important to see so that you can understand, very important to understand the geography of Israel. And I know that sounds for many people very boring, but it really actually is, can bring out some amazing things about the text if you understand the geography. Okay, to the left side of your screen, the blue, that's the Mediterranean Sea. So Israel is in the southeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. The red star down here towards the bottom, that's Jerusalem. It's up in the mountains. Here's the Sea of Galilee. That's where most of Jesus' ministry took place. The Dead Sea is right there in that black circle just to the right side or to the east of Jerusalem. And then Mount Hermon is at the very northern border, way up here, uh, of Israel. Okay, that's Mount Hermon. And all of that snow that you saw on top of that mountain will eventually go through the limestone or melt off the mountain straight away, and it will begin the Jordan River. All of the headwaters of the Jordan River come out of Mount Hermon. So the Jordan River runs, just like that red line, straight down through that what's called the Rift Valley. There's a stopping off point that we call the Sea of Galilee. It keeps going all the way to the Dead Sea, and it stops. That's the Jordan River. Okay, so that's where Mount Hermon is. Now, if we go a little bit closer, we'll notice that not only is that the setting of 
uh, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, but Caesarea Philippi. The story of Jesus going to Caesarea Philippi, where Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, happens right there. You know, everything Jesus does is very purposeful for the message that he wants to convey to his audience. So one of the things you might question is, why walk? Remember, they didn't take the church bus 26 miles to Caesarea Philippi, uphill, by the way, the whole way. No church bus. They got on their uh, Lamborghinis and walked. And you can imagine the discussions that the disciples were having as they're walking towards Caesarea Philippi, which was a thoroughly pagan place. And uh, so he takes them to Caesarea Philippi and then right up on that mountain at Mount Hermon for the transfiguration. Okay, so that's just where it's at. Now, I mentioned then, if we said we go back to Psalm 42 and and Psalm 43, which are, by the way, connected. Again, see, see our first video. Psalm 42 places the psalmist in this region. So the psalm says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon and Mount Mazar is there are actually three peaks up there, so they may be naming the other peaks as well. So the point is, is these two psalms are connected. They're connected not only geographically, they're connected by the theme. It's a theme of redemption. We'll talk about that tonight, the theme of redemption in these psalms. And then there's a common refrain. So if you read from the beginning, Psalm 42, 1, all the way through Psalm 43, 5, you will see a common refrain. It shows up three times. Psalm 42, 5, Psalm 42, 11, and Psalm 43, 5. So check those out. Okay, because you, you have to realize Psalm 43 ends with the same refrain that's in Psalm 42 twice. Okay, so I want to show you that refrain. This is the connector. This is how we know. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. You can turn to Psalm 43, 5. In this case, I'm going to use the NIV, New International Version. And I want to show you that very often the Old Testament, particularly when you get into poetry, Psalms, maybe the poetic uh, parts of the, of the prophets, it is not easy to translate. And sometimes we think, just tell me what the Hebrew says. And then the translators are like, well, it's a little bit ambiguous here. And so what we're going to see is Psalm 43. Well, there's some tough translations in here, uh, no doubt. So Psalm 43.5, in this case, I'm going to use the NIV, the New International Version. So it says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now that's the NIV, my Savior and my God. And we're going to see that not all of the translations have that phrase, my Savior. In fact, very few of them do. That's not actually, that's an interpretation, meaning the words that are underneath there they said, well, what that might mean in English is this, but it's not a direct translation. So, Savior, 
the word that the Hebrew word has to do with Jesus and his name. And it's very important. I think the best translation is, is the salvations of my countenance and my God. But, you know, it's a little awkward in, in English. But anyways, my point is, this is the verse that connects the two Psalms. And we'll, I'll look deeper into this in a, in a little bit uh, about the difficulty. And you can see when you get to different translations, if there's a lot of variation, it just means that the Hebrew is not easy. So, okay, let me see where I'm at here. The other part of this, just to mention it, because it's poetic, they're not written like a textbook that's trying to explain something. This is a, a, this is a prayer to God, and in poetry, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, no doubt, but it's not God's Word speaking, it's someone speaking to God. And you do find variances in the way that it gets translated into English. And I can tell you flat out, in seminary, when I was taking Hebrew, we would go through translations and say we were assigned a psalm, and all of us would individually, we would translate, and then we'd go through it as a class, and the instructor would, and we would get to certain verses, and the instructor would say, okay, what do you guys think about the translation? And we're all, you know, struggling with trying to figure it out, and she'd say, well, let's go look at some different versions, and you'd see a version, and we'd go, oh, that, that one, they missed that one, and then you'd go to the next one, oh, they missed that one, and then one would get a little bit closer, and so you could see it's, uh, it's very common, but you wouldn't know it in English, and, and, and it doesn't, it's not enough to throw off and say there's something wrong with my English Bible, but you just have to know that oftentimes these, the English translations can be different. It's, that's why it's sometimes good to go look at multiple translations. Okay, so that is the verse that connects them all. Now, before we get into actually talking about the Midrash on Psalm 43, I want to show you one critical verse that the Midrash is going to hinge on. And so you'll be prepared when we get to the Midrash that you'll be prepared with this verse. And it's Psalm 43, verse 3. Now, in this case, I'm going to use the New Living Translation just to do a little bit different translation. And I'm, I'm actually, I'll show you a picture in a minute of a, a website that's actually uh, very helpful. But there are, there's a translation issue going on inside Psalm 43, verse 3 that we need to know about because it's going to help us understand the actions going on at that transfiguration. But uh, when you go to a text, this can be very helpful in your study. If you use a website, there's one called BibleHub.com. So BibleHub.com, this is what it looks like. So now I'm in Psalm 43.3. You can see right here, that's the name of the website, BibleHub. We've got Psalm 43. It's telling us what verse we're on. And then it has a list of about 25 different versions of translations. So, for instance, you have the, NI, the New International Version, the New Living Translation. That's the one we were just looking at. The English Standard Version. The Berean Study Bible. The King James Bible. The New King James Version. You can see that under there. So, this one page will show you all the different variations of how uh, Bibles are translating it, and again, can be very helpful. So, let's go. Let me go to the NLT. We'll come back to this. So, the NLT, this is really the key, the key verse to understanding the Midrash and 
what's going on or, or the message that's coming out of the transfiguration. Psalm 43.3 from the New Living Translation. It says, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. Short verse here, but man, there's a lot of questions, okay? And so this psalm is about redemption. Throughout the Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, my soul is downcast. My enemies are against me. God, when am I going to be able to worship you again? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. God's light and truth will deliver me from this situation, yes? Now, in our Western context, we might say, what are light and what, are tr- what is truth, right? Let light and truth guide you as if they're kind of abstractions. So we might say, what is light or what is truth? But look at this. It says, let them guide me. Now, the rabbis took that as them, that it, light and truth are not just abstractions, they're people. So the question is, it isn't uh, what is light or what is truth that's going to guide me, it's who is light and who is truth, right? Because you're asking for redemption. So they are going to lead me out. So it's more who rather than what, okay? And then they're, they're at a holy mountain, maybe like Mount Hermon. And then we get this phrase, which is really, this becomes so critical to understanding our New Testament. The place where you live, that's the, that's the New Living Translation. And I'm going to show you a whole, some different ones uh, on, our, on Bible Hub, how that's translated. The place where you live, place being singular, you, of course, being God, that's not a good translation. Let's go take a look over here. So if we go down the list, say the NIV, the New International Version, it says, to, the, to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. You, singular, place, singular, dwell, singular. Then New Living Translation, that's what we looked at, the place where you live. English Standard Version, Take me to your holy hill and to your dwelling, again, singular, Berean study Bible, and to the place where you dwell, singular. Then we get to the King James. Hmm. And the King James, which is more of a literal uh, than, than it is contempt- moving it into contemporary English, says, uh, take me, bring me to the, thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. And what do you notice about tabernacles? It's plural. So right here. And that is what the Hebrew says. Now, tabernacles. Hmm. Maybe there's a better word for tabernacle. Because we think of, does God have one tabernacle or multiple? Because there are, that's, the word is pure, plural, right? But another word for tabernacle is tent. Take me to your tents, plural. It's literally what it says. So if we go to the New Heart English Bible and look at this version of Psalm 43.3, what does it say? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. 
Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your tents. And that is what the Hebrew says. Now, what happens is the translators see to your tents. Now, they can translate that into English, but then they do some interpretation, right? So you have translation and interpretation happening at the same time. To your tents. Well, what might that mean? Ah, to your dwelling place. Well, the problem is place you dwell is singular, but it's not singular, it's plural. And you might be thinking, big deal. So what? Why are you harping on this? Why are you pointing this out to us? Well, in your New Testament, in the transfiguration event, what is Peter suggesting that they do when he sees Moses, Elijah, and Jesus standing there? To put up tents. And it's, I don't know, you know, the text says that Peter was frightened, he didn't know what to do, but he certainly understands the psalm that they're actually living out right there. I don't know how it happened, but Peter gets it. He recognizes Psalm 43. They're on a holy mountain. And his response is, let's put up tents. It's in the text. This blows my mind because it's like, we miss it. And I'll come back to this later because it's so cool, but never in a million years would anybody connect you know, to your dwelling place with to your tents and what Peter's doing. But, oh, if we can see, if we have eyes to see what Peter is up to, he understands, whoa, we're inside Psalm 43 and the, trend and the, and the actual interpretation of Psalm 43. So it's very cool if we can catch this. Okay, so that's why I'm harping on, as we're going to see another, um, another problem with a translation later, I'm just pointing out, sometimes the connections that are taking place, we miss them because of our translation. And when we make the translation too easy, we sometimes miss something that's going on, okay? So, this verse right here, Psalm 43.3, is going to be central to the Midrash, and you'll see it's so cool when, it ha when, we, when you see it. Okay, so the question, they see this text, and they don't ask, again, they don't ask, what are light and truth? What does that mean? How is God going to, it's not how God's going to uh, lead you out, it's who. Who is light and who is truth? Okay? So as we get to this Midrash on Psalm 43, these are the types of questions that it's going to answer, and it'll fit perfectly into the transfiguration. So first thing, though, what on earth is a Midrash? If you've never heard that word before, then I need to talk about it a little bit just to make sure you understand that when you see, this comes from rabbinic literature, and when you see something like this, uh, Christians can, not always, but can sometimes get nervous or maybe get a little bit like, whoa, 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 that's not inspired or anything. But I want to give you the Midrash on Psalm 43. We'll talk about what a Midrash is, and they're often. Uh, quite compelling the way that they link the text together. So, let's put up a definition, first of all. And by the way, I'll show you in a minute the, this article. It's by Herbert Bessar, and he is a Talmudic scholar from Canada, a Jewish scholar 
and scholar of the Talmud. And he wrote an article. I'll show you the, the, a picture of the magazine in a minute, Bible Review. And the article is about the Jewish roots of the Transfiguration. So this quote comes out of that article, because in that article, he's going to have to explain to his audience what a Midrash is. So he says, look, a Midrash is a rabbinic explanation or elaboration of biblical verses that reveals layers of meaning. And a Midrash, a type of Midrash, a, well, I should say it this way, a parable is a type of Midrash. The whole idea of a parable is to reveal something in the text, a layer of meaning that's now being applied to them in that day, and then we would apply it to us in our day. So our um, New Testament writers, as first century Jews, deal in Midrash. We just don't use the word, okay? So it says Midrash, a rabbinic explanation, elaboration of a biblical verse that reveals layers of meaning that are, this is really important, theologically sound. They're not just making anything up. It's going to be theologically sound, but it's nowhere stated explicitly in the Scripture. Some of these are so deep, and part of the reason that the rabbis can connect things is because they're doing it in Hebrew and not English. So sometimes in English we think, what are they talking about? But in Hebrew, they're connecting words they're connecting the roots to words. They're connecting texts in ways that we're not used to doing. So it's just their method of uh, doing Bible interpretation. And Paul is doing some of this. You know, he pulls together in like Romans or the writer of Hebrews does this. You pull together five or six different verses from the Old Testament and he sticks them all together. And what the, the rabbis call this is uh, stringing pearls. They're little pearls, little nuggets, and each verse is a pearl, and you string them together, and, you, and out of that stringing together of pearls, you discover new meaning, right? The, our New Testament writers are taking verses from the Old Testament and saying, that applies to Jesus, and people might say, well, wait a minute, are you sure? Because it didn't apply at first, and they're like, yes, but it does now, and that's a type of midrash. You're reading it deeper than just at the surface level. Okay, so that's what Midrash is. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see an explanation of Psalm 43.3, or Psalm 43, really. Okay, here's the, uh, this is my, the, the source that I'm pulling this from. Uh, not easy to come across unless you have access to a theological library. So if you're at a church, and maybe your pastor has access to a theological library that's online. It's a, a magazine called Bible Review. It comes from the Biblical Archaeological Society. Uh, from 1998, June of 1998, and you can see down here at the bottom, The Jewish Roots of the Transfiguration by Herbert Besser. Okay, now that we have that, now that we know what a midrash is, let's go look. And you have, I, I gave you, oh, I'm sorry, before I do that, let me talk about the idea of midrash. Uh, again, this is more just so that our, conceptually we can understand what's going on. So, if we go to a little timeline, it's always helpful to have a timeline, and it's always helpful to build out timelines in your mind so when you see something, you can say, okay, I understand a little bit what's going on. Well, we have a huge gap, right? From the time Psalm 43 is now 
uh, made its way into what the Jews are calling Scripture, and the New Testament comes around, the Jews are they're wrestling with their text. They're wrestling with what's going on in the world. They're wrestling with the changes that are happening around them. They're, they're wrestling with oppressive governments. They're wrestling with all this stuff, just like we are today. And then they look at the text, and they read, into, they read it, and they go deeper. And then they come up with a, an explanation of the text that is now commonly accepted, like we did two weeks ago when we talked about the heavenly man. It's commonly accepted by the community to have an interpretation of the Aramaic called the Targum. Okay, so you have this time frame. So in here, you get Jesus's ministry, 30 to 33 AD. And then a few years later, you finally get, 40 years later, you finally get the New Testament starts to come together, being pulled together. And so what it seems is that during this time between the Psalm 43 and Jesus' ministry, you start to get Midrash on Psalm 43. Just realize the actual Midrash that I'm going to quote isn't written down till later, but it doesn't mean these ideas weren't coming from the, uh, from the sages of Israel, because they're gonna sh- they, they often show up in our New Testament, okay? So what would happen? You have Psalm 43, and for a couple hundred years, you're wrestling with it. And then you get common interpretation where everybody thinks, yep, yeah, I think I agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that. And they're just oral interpretations. Then, by the time Jesus comes around and we get the, tra- the actual transfiguration event, and this is what's so important about this class tonight, the transfiguration event is connected to the Midrash first. Now, of course, the Midrash is Psalm 43, so that's connected to Psalm 43 without a doubt, but it's going to be connected to the Midrash first. So they're connecting when the first audience hears the story, they've already got something in mind, okay? Then, so Jesus goes and does as the Midrash is explaining it. And then, of course, the New Testament writers bring that forward, Matthew, Mark, Luke. They write it down so that it's going to reflect the Midrash on Psalm 43. Now, here's, and this is exactly what Herbert Besser is arguing. Okay, now why? How would we, what's his main argument in this? How would he be able to come to this conclusion? that the transfiguration is actually based off of the interpretation of Psalm 43. Now hang with me, because this is really key, okay? But his argument goes something like this, okay? In all of rabbinic literature, you have all these, you would call the midrashim, the plural of midrash. These stories, they're explaining the text. They're helping you understand what God is up to. Throughout all of that rabbinic literature, you have many examples of Moses and Elijah in the same Midrash. You have multiple examples of Moses and Elijah together. You have many examples of Elijah and the Messiah. That, of course, makes sense because that's what the Malachi tells us, right? And we'll see that proof text in a minute. Elijah's going to come first. People thought John the Baptist was Elijah. He leads the way for the Messiah. So there's lots of Elijah and Messiah. But get this, one time, okay? One time, right here, one time. 
in all of rabbinic literature do you have Moses, Elijah, and the Messiah all in the same place? All in the same Midrash. Well, that's the transfiguration, right? That's Jesus, the Messiah, on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. And guess what Midrash that those three show up together? Well, it's the Midrash on Psalm 43. All right? So you can see these are all connecting. But this is huge. Because if you can say, look, we have a Midrash. We have uh, so the Midrash to Psalm 43 has Moses, Elijah, and the Messiah. The Transfiguration has Moses, Elijah, and the Messiah. Uh-oh. We better put those two together and then look at the differences. Put them right next to each other and see. Do they, do they compare? Do they share the same details? Now, it's not just the Midrash on Psalm 43. It's Psalm 42 and 43 as well, okay? So we notice something. Psalm 43, where's the, where's the geographical location? Mount Hermon. What about the Transfiguration? Mount Hermon, okay? Psalm 42 and 43 is all about redemption. Send us redemption, God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me out of this. What's Jesus? He's the redemption for the whole world. So they begin to line up. And you say, whoa, is there more? And of course, the answer is absolutely. I would have, I have more lines to fill in, right? Okay, so now what I want you to do is pull out from your handout. This is the Midrash on Psalm 43. Now that we've had this kind of buildup, I think you'll see. It's, it's absolutely amazing, okay? So here's the Midrash. And I will put a link. You can go to a website called, the, it's archive.org. And you can pull up the Midrash on the Psalms, and you can go to the Psalm 43 and read this yourself. Um, I'll put a link ex directly to that. You do have to sign up. It's a free account, but it's like a library. You take a lo you, you're loaning the book for about an hour. But anyways, you can go read this. It's, it's, uh, it's available. So the Midrash goes like this. Now, remember, there, it's a Midrash on the all Psalm 43. So it starts out, he quotes, this, the, uh, the person writing the Midrash quotes Psalm 43 too. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? Right? That's what he's, that's what he's crying out for. Now, the, the person writing the Midrash is actually going to offer him an element of hope. He says, well, look, from what did you redeem our ancestors in Egypt? Like he's talking to God. Was it not from the oppression of the Egyptians? So here's the psalmist. They're feeling oppressed. And he says, look, we've had oppression in the past. There was oppression from the Egyptians. Didn't God redeem us then? Okay, so why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? From what did you redeem our ancestors in Egypt? Was it not from the oppression of the Egyptians? And it goes on. Did you not send redemption at the hands of two redeemers to that generation? And then they're going to put in a little proof text. This is Psalm 105, 26. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. So did God send redeemers to, to Egypt? Yeah. He sent redemption at the hand of two redeemers to that generation. And oh, by the way, in Psalm 105, 26, Aaron, who he had chosen, that word chosen, same one we looked at in Isaiah 42, 1. This is my servant, whom I have chosen. 
So now the, the person writing the Midrash continues. He says, okay, send two redeemers like them to this generation. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. As he's explaining, hey, this generation can get redeemers too. Okay, now they're going to, now he's going to explain whose light and whose truth. Your light being the prophet, I, I, I'm sorry, your light being the prophet Elijah, your truth being the Messiah, son of David. So it's not what are light and truth, who, ah, Elijah and the Messiah. Send two redeemers. Your light. Who's your light? That's Elijah. And send your truth. Who's your truth? The Messiah. Okay? Now, now they're going to add some proof text, okay? And it's, you gotta, you gotta, this is really important. They're going to add some proof text from the Bible. So he says, likewise, Scripture says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. That's Malachi 3. That's quoted in our New Testament. Okay? And then it says, the second Redeemer is, and they quote Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. So Isaiah 42.1, how important that, that is when we looked at that last week. And, oh, by the way, another chosen one. Hence, send out your light and your truth. It's brilliant because now it puts depth to Psalm 43. And so what's happening there on the transfiguration? The redeemers are showing up, right? Elijah, this is after John the Baptist died. Elijah now is in, in his heavenly form. And you have the Messiah. And those are the re redeemers for that generation of Israel. Hence, send out your light and your truth. Okay, so if we go back to our little list here, Moses, Elijah, and the Messiah, found in both of them, Mount Hermon, redemption. Elijah, of course, mentioned in the Midrash on Psalm 43. You don't find him in the Psalm, but you find the Midrash saying, that's Elijah. What's the conversation in Mark that we read? What are they talking about as soon as they leave the transfiguration? Where's Elijah? Isn't Elijah going to come first? And Jesus says, yes, I tell you that he did come first. So, He's, it's not only that you find the, the Elijah up there, but you have that whole discussion, just like Malachi says. Elijah comes first. Then, Isaiah 42, the Midrash uses that as their proof text for the Messiah. That's what the voice, the heavenly voice in Luke says. Now, Psalm 43, in the actual psalm, lead me, right? Lead me, well, let me look at it in a minute, to your tents, okay? So this is what we see. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your tents. That's the New Heart English uh, Bible version. And what do we find on the transfiguration? Well, Peter, he's a little confused at what's going on here, but he says, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents. Brilliant. That is not a coincidence. And, you know, I feel bad for Peter because, you know, Mark doesn't make the disciples look good throughout his, uh, the Gospels. 
But, you know, I, I, heard, I remember hearing a sermon about this where the, the pastor was talking about, you know, Peter, he didn't know what to say. Hey, let's just put up some three tents. And he was almost making fun of Peter. And I thought, no, 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 no. Peter is in the text. He knows what's going on around him. And what is he? How does he respond? Three tents. Because he knows it doesn't say your dwelling place. So we even get the three tents, and then we get tents in the transfiguration. So it's, ah, uh, this just blows my mind, right? Now, the last part comes from Psalm 43, and this is, um, it's very important to see how both Jesus and the New Testament writers will use the word salvation in the most literal sense of Psalm 43, Psalm 43, verse 5 in the most literal sense, says the salvations, plural, salvations of my countenance. The word is face. And um, let me lift my face towards you would be lift my countenance towards you, the look on my face. But it's salvations, plural. Uh, You could also say maybe ever-present help. It's a continuous salvation of of your countenance. But it's salvations. The word is yeshuot three times throughout the psalm. And so what we notice is that Jesus' name, well, let me, let me show you this here, Psalm 43, 5. I'll put it up in the NIV, and then I'll, I'll, I'll put you the more literal one. So, my soul, why are you downcast? Why are so disturbed with me, within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And this is the NIV. It's, they're trying to make it uh, more contemporary. My Savior and my God. Now, Savior it comes from the word Yeshuot, but the salvations of my countenance. So the word salvations is there, but countenance they left, NIV left out. Okay, now again, I'm kind of harping on this, but what's the point? Well, that word salvation is the verb Yasha. Well, the root of Jesus, the name Jesus, is our anglicized. Jesus, Yeshua, the root for that is salvation. So Jesus in Hebrew means God saves. So his name is what he does. Names are so important in, um, in the Bible because names aren't just, I have a name and that's how you refer to me. It's what I do. It's a part of my identity, and you have to live up to that identity. So Jesus' name, Yeshua, God saves. And what happens is both Jesus does this himself as he's acting things out, and the New Testament writers love to connect verses in the Old Testament that have the word salvation in it to something that Jesus is doing, because that's part of his name. So I just want to point this out that you find that word three times in, the, in, these, in this text, and Jesus is now living it out to tell you what's going on. Okay? So, it's so cool. A midrash on Psalm uh, 43. And I think, to me, and because the more I've, um, I've taught this before, but even this time coming around, having to put this together, it's so solid. It's so solid. And I know if this is the first time you're hearing it, and you might think, I don't know what to think about that. What, what is a midrash? How do I understand what they're even doing? 
I think this is the main connector. This is a really a critical piece to understanding the meaning behind the transfiguration event. Send us your light and your truth. They're, they're acting out. They're redeemers, right? John the Baptist and Jesus are coming in the name of redemption. What does Jesus' generation want more than anything? They want redemption. Redemption from the oppressive Roman government. Redemption from the oppressive and corrupt priesthood that's running the temple in Jerusalem. The, the priests are enriching themselves through, this, through the process. And uh, Annas and his, son, his son-in-law, I should say, Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas, who he installed to maintain power like the godfather is he's got a hold on the priest and on the high priesthood and things are crumbling around them but the priests are getting wealthy and they're not supposed to be wealthy so what are the people in jesus generation saying deliver us god send us a savior they want jesus as the king to go out and fight the romans and throw off the yoke of oppression and god says okay Let's do it, right? But I'm not going to do it how you think I'm going to do it. So they say, send us deliverance. Send out your light. Send out your truth. Let them lead me. Right? Jesus, led, the, John, or led by John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is the Elijah that leads the way, to introduces the Messiah. But they missed it because they were looking for war and power and to dominate over the Romans, Jesus says, that's not how you redeem. It's love, it's forgiveness. That's how you redeem. And now I'm going to go be the redeemer for the whole world. So you have to follow in my footsteps. So this is so cool. It's not just Psalm 43, but it's there. It's the Midrash on Psalm 43. Read it a couple times again. You got Moses, Elijah, the Messiah, Mount Hermon, redemption. Uh, this discussion about Elijah that happens on the way down the mountain. So, uh, Isaiah 42.1 is quoted in both. Exactly. It's the same proof text. They've got this. If we can look at the literal translation in Psalm 43, to your tents, and then you have Peter. just blows me away because it's, such, it's something that so many people struggle with. Why is he putting up tents? Because he knows his Bible. Right? And then salvations of my countenance leads us towards the one whose name means God saves, Yeshua. Blows my mind. I don't know. It just blows my mind. I hope you can see the depth. It adds so much depth to our Bible. And I'm going to do one more video, because there's even more. I mean, there's always more. I'll do one more that kind of wraps everything up. And then I'll even show you some things from, from Psalm 42 that we can eat, that are possibly, possibly playing out at Caesarea Philippi. So it's amazing the depth that's going on in this text. And I just pray that God would give me eyes to see God is infinite. How infinite then is his word in ways that we can't fathom. And yet oftentimes we just reject because we don't understand it. And I just pray that God would continue to open my heart and open my eyes to see deeper into the text that I can understand this. And this is really my goal with, you know, when I set out to do this transfiguration series is because it just it was a fire in my chest that I had to get out. 
It's like this. It's so cool. And part of the reason, I know I've repeat, I've said this before, but part of the reason why I want it in an audio format, because a lot of people don't read, no sense in writing a book or an article. Everybody can listen. And everybody can hear it multiple times, because that's what it sometimes takes. I mean, you may be hearing this for the first time. Well, it's not my first time. You know, the first time I actually heard about this idea was 12 years ago. So I've had a lot more time to process this information and put it together. Please take the time. Look at that, uh, the Midrash. Even go look at where I, the, the link that I have for it online. Read Psalm 42 and 43 multiple times. Read the transfig- Transfiguration again. Let these, the handout and everything, put all of these details together because it is far more magnificent than we can even imagine. So I hope you, tonight has even opened your eyes a little bit more to what's going on in that with that Transfiguration event and the meaning that Jesus is, in fact, the Redeemer of Israel, the Messiah. 